Intimacy is a human need which we cannot live without. There are very few things you can't live without that aren't biological. I'm not talking about food and drink. But intimacy is a true, literal need without which life just doesn't work. That's not true of love. You can live without love. Many people do. <laughs> Nobody loves them, but they live. You can live without love. You cannot live without intimacy. Meaning, you can't have a meaningful life without intimacy. You can have a meaningful life without love. May not be pleasant. So the first thing we have to do is put love in its place. Because it's gotten out of hand. Without any exaggeration, love is the idol, the false god of America or of the West. <clears throat> love is everything. Without love, you have nothing. If you have love, you have everything. All you really need is love. Love will keep us together. Love makes the world go round. They're nice songs, but it's not true. It is certainly not true that love and marriage go together like a horse and carriage. Not true. Horses and carriages get along a lot better <laughs> than people married. So what, I what exactly is love? Would, would the word important apply to love? Would it be correct to say love is very important? <clears throat> in the modern thinking, in the media, in Hollywood, <laughs> without love, they're out of business. Love sells. Is love important? No, it's not. It's the wrong adjective. Love is not important. Love is appropriate. Love is required. People who are important, you ought to love. Those who are important to you, you ought to love. If you don't love them, they're still important. But someone who is not important in your life, no, how mu no matter how much you love them, they're still not important. Your love cannot make someone important. That's a nasty idea. If I love you, you're important. When I stop loving you, you're garbage. Not nice. So, <laughs> the brother you hate is still more important than the dog you love. True or false? Yeah, convince an 11-year-old. I love my dog, so my dog is more important. Not healthy. Love can actually be toxic. 
it can destroy marriages rather than make marriages. And the reason for that is because intimacy means a bond of person to person. without letting anything come between you. Love, on the other hand, is a thing, and it can come between you. As for example, I marry you because I love you, and I want you to love me, which means I want your love, not the rest of you. So I'm really looking for the love that I get from you. I'm not really interested in you. So as long as you love me, fine. But when you stop loving me, I never needed you. So love comes between people. It's an object that they're both interested in, but it doesn't bring them together to each other. The same, is thing, the same is true with sex. Sex doesn't bring people together. In fact, it keeps people apart. Because it's something, it's your experience, that experience is not shared, because each of the partners has their own experience, and you are never so far apart from each other as during sex. Because each person is so keenly aware of themselves. So it's a thing, and things come between us. Intimacy means the two of us with no thing coming between us. Merging into each other. And this is a divine gift that we have. Because we are created in God's image, we have the ability to get past ourselves and meld and blend and dissolve into another so that we become bonded, inseparable. That's called intimacy. So let's back up a little bit. We read in the description of creation, in the first book, of the Torah and Beratius. God is creating the world. On the first day, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And on the second day, God said, let there be a separation between the waters so that there could be dry earth. On the third day, God said, let the earth give forth vegetation, flowers, plants, trees. On the fourth day, God said, let there be a sun and a moon in their orbit. On the fifth day, God created the little animals, on the sixth day, God created Adam. And then God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I'll create him a wife. Something like that. Two questions. Number one, why all of a sudden does God say, it's not enough to have a man. I also need to create a woman. You don't need to say that. You're creating. Go ahead. Do your thing. <laughs> Create whatever you want. You're on a roll. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So God didn't say, it's not enough to have just a sun, you also have to have a moon. He created the sun, he created the moon. If it's not enough to have just a man, you need... So go ahead. What's with the announcement? God said, oh, it's not good. It's like the comedian who says, we really don't need that announcement on the airlines. We're going to take it up to 30,000 feet. Yeah, I don't care. Why are you telling me this? Just go where you're supposed to. And land properly, you know that? So God wants to create a world, go right ahead. What are you, justifying yourself? That's question number one. Question number two. God says it is not good to be alone. Is that true? It's not? No, it's true. It is true. Yeah. Not good to be alone. No. Hmm. Then why do you always hear people saying, leave me alone? <laughs> You hear that a lot more than marry me. Do we want to be alone? Are we better off alone? You got to be precise with the words in the Torah. It's not that it's not good for a man to be alone because how is he going to have children by himself? Or how is he going to make an egg? How is he going to make breakfast? How will he do laundry? How will he learn to be a mensch? <laughs> no, that's not the problem. The problem is that he's alone. Which means that even if he can fry an egg and do his own laundry, it's not good to be alone. Why? If you were truly self-sufficient, wouldn't that be perfect? If you could live by yourself, all alone, not dependent on anyone, not needing anyone, wouldn't that be perfect? Never get into a fight, never get annoyed, no tension, no anxiety, no... Hmm? Wouldn't be good? Hmm. So you agree with God? <laughs> At least in this. So God got this one right. It's actually a mystery. If a person could be self-sufficient, why wouldn't he want to be alone? Why would that not be good? And I agree with you. It's not good. But we don't know why. Why? What do you need this for? You need... <laughs> you're doing well by yourself, you need somebody else's problems? It is a mystery. And today, we are suffering from this more probably than ever before. Being alone, loneliness, has become the, the disease of this age. The entire medical world is now all excited and, and, and worried and, and looking for solutions how do we get rid of loneliness because it's making people sick? When you feel alone in the world, your immune system crashes. You're unprotected. So if we want to make people healthy, 
we've got to get to the heart of this loneliness that is making them vulnerable. So we know that being alone or feeling alone is a terrible thing. It is certainly not good, and there's no reason. The only explanation is God did that by saying it's not going to be good to be alone. He created that because by nature, if we could be alone, we would be perfectly happy. But because we inherit this from God himself, he created the world because otherwise he's alone. And what's wrong with God being alone? He can certainly handle it. Yeah, but it's not good. It's not good. It's not morally good to be alone. If we want to understand human nature properly, we have to look into the Torah. The Creator understands us better than we understand ourselves. What does it mean to be vulnerable in a healthy way? I got a phone call years ago to the Chabad house. The guy on the line says, Hi, I don't want to give you my name. I live in a small town in Oregon. I was born Jewish. I'm a retired psychiatrist. And for the last 36 years, I've been practicing Christianity. But as I'm getting older, I feel a need to connect to my people. But there's nothing Jewish here in my town. What can I do to feel connected to my people? So, of course, I said, get a pair of tefillin. You put on the tefillin every morning, you'll feel connected to your people. He says, no, no, I can't do that. Every time I try to do something Jewish, it's been a bad experience. I said to him, look, nobody's Jewish because it's been a good experience. If you do what God needs from Jews, you feel like a Jew. When you do what God needs from a non-Jew, you feel like a non-Jew. He says, God needs? I've never heard such a thing. So I said, look, God is infinite. Yeah. God is infinite in all ways. Yeah, sure. So he's infinitely knowing, he's infinitely kind, infinitely patient. Yes, yeah. yeah. Well, then he must also be infinitely vulnerable. So this guy starts to laugh. He says, God is vulnerable. God is almighty. So he's a retired psychiatrist. So I said to him, doctor, are you suggesting that vulnerability is a weakness? He got totally flustered and he hung up the phone. 
See, one of the best, one of the truest, one of the deepest insights in psychoanalysis is that vulnerability is a strength, not a weakness. A couple of days later, he calls back. He says, I don't want to tell you my name. I'm the guy from Oregon. <clears throat> Where do I get Tillin? I said, why all of a sudden? He says, my professional background doesn't allow me to accept the Christian message. I said, after 36 years? He says, let me explain this to you. In our profession, we know that if a man would say to a woman, I love you very, very much. I love you a lot. Oh, you're not interested? <laughs> you're lost. He's not vulnerable. If he's not vulnerable, then when he claims to love her, it's not true. It's not love. It's manipulation. Because there cannot be love without vulnerability. It's true. But we have to understand vulnerability a little deeper. See, vulnerability means able to tolerate pain. So if you're strong, you can take pain. If you're weak, you can't afford to be vulnerable because you're already in too much pain. But then vulnerability is not a strength. Vulnerability means you can be hurt. But if you're strong, you can tolerate the hurt. That doesn't make vulnerability a strength. You're strong for some other reason. And now you can take the pain of vulnerability. But that's not the full story. What does it mean, I love you? What does it mean, I need you? That is an expression of vulnerability. Because true vulnerability means, I am not enough for me. I'm not enough. I may be perfect, like God himself. Not enough. Being perfect is great. It's not enough. So no matter how perfect I am, just me, not enough. That's real vulnerability. And it has nothing to do with pain. I may never feel pain, but I am not enough. That's real vulnerable. And that is our ultimate strength. We are bigger than ourselves. And that's why I need you. Because by myself, not enough. Not good. So what do I need? I need someone other than me other than me. And that's why I do not marry my sister. Too much like me. Too much in common. I have to marry someone other than me, otherwise 
I'm still alone. Having a sister, having ten sisters, you're still alone. Because the only relationship in which you become one is in a marriage. You are not one with your sister, with your brother, with your parents, with your children. So why do we marry? Who invented marriage? God. Only God could come up with an idea like this. And what is the marriage for? To not be alone. And what's wrong with being alone? Nobody knows. It's a certain built-in humility. I am not enough. So, the objective of marriage is to become one so that you are never alone. A couple of years ago, two, two and a half years ago, in doing marriage counseling, I noticed that something had changed. Until about two years ago, people who were not happy in their marriage didn't like each other. They had serious complaints. And so you try to work it out, patch it up, make peace. About two years ago, I noticed that people who are happily married complain about feeling alone. They're happily married. No complaints to each other. And yet they each feel alone in the world. This is scary. What happened? The one thing marriage is supposed to change is that you're never alone again. If you can be happily married and feel alone, what happened? And the answer is, marriages are not intimate. You can live side by side, have no complaints, be perfectly happy with the arrangement, but there's nothing intimate. You're not bonding. You're enjoying like good roommates. You have enough in common to keep you interested and to keep you together. But you're not becoming one. And the culprit? Love and sex are keeping us apart. Because we're both looking for love and we're both looking for sex and we don't see each other. What is wrong with a man saying to a woman, I love you for your money, and I want to marry you for your money. Why is that offensive? Oh, is it offensive? Is it? She has money. He likes money. Isn't that a perfect match? A match made in, in heaven? Why is it offensive? What if the money is gone? What if the money is gone? I love you because you're beautiful. What happens when that's gone? (laughs) 
worse than that. I want to marry you for love. Is that better? What if the love is gone? <laughs> it's more likely that the love disappears than the money. You're better off with the money. So if a man says, I want to marry you for your money, listen to what he's really saying. What he's really saying is this. Uh, can, can I just have the money? That's, that's all I really want. Can I just have the money? No, huh? Okay, I guess I'll have to marry him. Come on, that's what he's saying. It is no different if I marry you for love. If I marry you for love, I just want the love. I didn't ask for your opinion. I want to hear your opinion. I don't want to put up with your personality, with your moods, with your shtick, with your tastes. Just the love, okay? Just the love. Keep the rest. I don't want the rest. So if you could just love me and I don't have to marry you, perfect. It's so insulting. It is. It's offensive. I learned this from religion. There are people who say to God, I want to get to heaven. Can you help me get to heaven? God says, yeah, you worship me, believe in me, and whatever else, you'll get to heaven. And we're thinking, can't you just let me into heaven? You have to make everything so complicated. I just want to get into heaven. Why do I have to put up with you? Now there's no other way? Okay, I'll be religious. It's so, it's so nasty. They tell the story that the Baal Shem Tov was once notified, a very, very holy man who started the whole Hasidic movement, he was once notified from heaven that he will not be welcomed. When he dies, he will not be welcomed to heaven. <laughs> and the Baal Shem Tov said, oh, good. Now I can just be a Jew. Now I'm not distracted with heaven. So you want to get married and you'll be in heaven? Or you want to get married and you'll be married to the person you're marrying? Love is destroying marriages. It's an ulterior motive and it gets between husband and wife. Don't love me. Be mine. Isn't that amazing? If you're mine, I'll probably love you. Maybe not. And if I don't love you today, tomorrow we'll grow on each other. But if you're not mine, then what good is the love? It's just entertainment. So love is not important, just like chocolate. Everybody loves chocolate. Nobody would argue that chocolate is important. 
intimacy is important. And it's much more powerful than love. Another story. Under, under the communists, the Chabad Hasidim declared war against this unholy evil. Not to get out of Russia, to destroy communism. It was a fight to the finish. Very little has been written about this, and someday that will be corrected. Every Chabad family in Russia lost a father, a son, a brother, a husband in this battle because it was a fight to the finish. They were sent to Siberia, firing squads, beaten to death. In the end, we won. Communism is dead, and Judaism is flourishing in the former Soviet Union. Flourishing. There are more kosher restaurants in Moscow than in Minnesota. Now, there are also more Jews there. But it's flourishing. During that time, there was a young couple. They had an eight-year-old boy. And uh, they found out that the KGB were after them. So they ran to a non-Jewish village, thinking that they would be safe there, wouldn't be found. But the husband was caught, and he was shipped off to Siberia. Now the mother is alone with an eight-year-old child in this totally non-Jewish community where she has no relatives, no support. And she needed to travel to where the family was, or where the Jewish community was, to get money or food for her kid. They had nothing to eat. The boy could not travel because he didn't have papers. Under the communists, the Chabad families, when a child was born, would bribe the nurses not to register the birth. Because every child who's registered who was born would have to attend communist schools as soon as they turn five or six. So to prevent that from happening, they bribed the hospital not to record the birth. So this boy did not officially exist. He certainly could not travel. So she had to leave him with a non-Jewish neighbor, an elderly couple, um, who would take care of him. And she planned to be away for four days. She told the boy what he may eat in, in their house and what he should not eat in their house, what's kosher, what's not kosher. And she said goodbye. Of course, she did not come back in four days. After a week, she was not back. The trains didn't run on time. Her papers were not perfect. They detained her. The husband would come home drunk every day and enjoyed forcing the boy 
to eat non-kosher meat. Roadkill. Nobody had real meat. The boy would bite and kick and scream and spit and cry every night, every day. After two weeks, the, the woman couldn't stand all that noise and tumult, so she took the boy and put him into an orphanage. At the orphanage, nobody forced him to eat what he didn't want to eat, but they're constantly mocking him, questioning him, why can't you, what's wrong with you? One day, a warm summer day, they took the, ch the boys on a hike. And after a while, they needed a cold drink, so they went into a farm, and they asked the farmer if he had a cold drink for the boys. So the farmer brings out a bottle of milk from his cellar, gives each of the kids a glass, and fills it with milk. Now this eight-year-old boy is about to drink the milk, and he hears the farmer saying, this is good, this is very, very good. Nothing healthier than horse's milk. Horse's milk is not kosher. So this little boy had a moral dilemma. He wanted to drink the milk, he was thirsty, it was a cold drink, but it's not kosher. But if he doesn't drink the milk, it'll start a whole new conversation. Oh, what's wrong with milk? He didn't want that hassle. So he should drink it. But then again, it's not kosher. After wrestling with the idea for a while, he decided he's not going to drink it. And to avoid a, uh, an uncomfortable conversation, he pretended that the glass slipped out of his hand and it spilled. Now they are coming back to the orphanage and his mother had returned from the trip. She goes to the neighbor's house and is told that he's not here anymore, he's in an orphanage. And children were disappearing those days and there was no one, no one to turn to, no one. So she was frightened and she runs to the orphanage and they say, well, he's not here right now. And she really panicked. There's no one to talk to. She can't, she can't go to the police. Not that they would help anyway. So she's pacing in front of the orphanage and the boy is coming, coming back. He sees his mother. He starts running towards his mother. And he says to her in Yiddish, Mama, I'm still yours. I didn't drink it. What kept him from drinking the milk was not that he was religious, orthodox, holy, saintly. He didn't drink the milk because he was his mother's child. And he wanted to be able to say, I'm yours. You wouldn't drink it, I didn't drink it. It's amazing how mature children became back then, because when you have to, you become mature. Now here's the beautiful thing. If he had said, Mama, I love you, I didn't drink it, 
it wouldn't have the same meaning to it. I'm yours. I didn't drink it. Very different. That is much more powerful than love. So you see a guy running down the street and you stop him. You say, what's the matter? Why are you running? He says, my wife isn't feeling well. I'm running to get the doctor. And you say, that is so beautiful. You love your wife. It's so nice to see. He says, did I say anything about love? Lately, we don't get along so good. So you say to him, well, in that case, what's the hurry? Where you're running? Let's have a cup of coffee. We'll talk a little bit. You'll get the doctor later. What would you say? What would any intelligent human being say? Are you crazy? My wife needs a doctor. He said, but you don't love her. He would say, what's love got to do with it? See, there are some good quotes. What's love got to do with it? It's my wife. That is so much more powerful than love. So some people worship God because God is love. Which means you're worshiping love. If he wasn't love, you wouldn't worship him. Some people worship God because he's all-powerful. So you're worshiping power. If, it wasn't, if he wasn't powerful, you're not interested. Don't do that to your wife. Don't do that to your husband. That is not intimacy. If you are worshiping something about your wife, you're not seeing her. Nothing you get from your spouse is as important as your spouse. So practically speaking, intimacy is very different from sex. It wasn't so long ago when sex was intimate. And it was scary. Because to engage in sex is to engage in a very intimate relationship. You become bonded. You become entangled with each other. It's emotional. It's terrifying. It's exciting. When did that stop? In the 60s. Free love. Free love meant sex should not be intimate. It should just be fun. We're paying a price for that now. We have no respect for intimacy. In fact, most people could not even define it. What's intimate? Holding hands is intimate? Mm, not necessarily. A kiss is intimate? Not always. A hug is intimate? No, it can be just polite. What is intimate? So it turns out that by today's definition, intimacy means if you're feeling intimate. 
If you're feeling intimate, then holding hands is intimate. If you're feeling intimate, then kissing is intimate. Okay, so now you meet a friend and you kiss because you're polite. You were not feeling intimate, but the other person was. Now you've got a problem. Me too. You thought, you thought I was being intimate? No, 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 I was just being... You're not intimate? The opportunity for misunderstanding is absolutely out of control. And it's not true. Intimacy is not a feeling. It's a fact. A man and a woman alone together in a room with the doors and windows closed. Is that an intimacy? Nah, not my type. No, she's not my type. That means you are being intimate and you don't care. It's not that it's not intimate. <clears throat> it's a violation. You're being intimate with no intentions of being intimate. I'll tell you a powerful story. We have this program in Minnesota for women. Crash course on Judaism. Women come from all over the world for a week, two weeks, a month, maximum. Back in the 70s, early 70s, the women who came to the program had all grown up in the 60s. And they were non-conformist. They would not go to a beauty parlor that was bourgeois, nonsense, insulting to women. They didn't dress up, they didn't use makeup, they didn't take care of themselves. And some of them went to real extremes. There was one woman there one summer, she had neglected herself something awful. The other hippies would not share a room with her. But she needed to talk to me privately. So we went into this little office that I had, had no windows. She was sitting near the door and she closed the door. I said, leave the door open a little bit. She said, why? I said, because a man and a woman should not be in a room together unless they're married. She started to sob. She cried her heart out. And I thought I had insulted her, that she was offended. She pulls herself together and she says, this is the first time anyone treated me like a woman. Now, if intimacy was a personal, subjective intention or reaction, she could close the door. Nothing intimate is going on here. It was hard to even tolerate her presence. But that's if intimacy was subjective. The fact is, intimacy is a reality. Closing the door is an intimacy. Not because I intended it or she intended it, but because that's the fact, and you can't fool Mother Nature.
holding hands is an intimacy. You're not excited by it? Too bad, you're missing out on a, a really beautiful thing. A kiss, a hug, it's all intimate. And if you're not feeling it, you're getting a little dull. But it is intimate. So, intimacy is a reality. We're trying to pretend, we're trying to play this game. No, 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 it's all platonic, it's all platonic. It's killing us. When a husband and wife walk into the bedroom, it is intimate. Why aren't they feeling it? Because we've lost respect for intimacy. It should be awesome. You close the bedroom door. That is so intimate. Yeah, but I'm not in the mood. That's terrible. The truth is, sadly, the average couple in America, according to the Pew research, the average couple in America have sex once a month, maybe. Isn't that tragic? We're so liberated, we're so sexually liberated, we're so comfortable with our bodies, we're so, we're so relaxed about all the taboos, and we're just not interested. Once a month, if you're lucky. What happened? Sex stopped being intimate. So we don't need it anymore. We need intimacy. We don't know where to find it. Jackie Mason. Remember? Famous rabbi? Jackie Mason has this routine. He goes to Hollywood, and all these people are sitting around not doing anything. And he wonders, are they not employed? So he asked them, don't you have a job? I said, yes. We're producers. We're producing our next movie because the first one was a flop. And we're sitting here trying to figure out where to put the sex scene in the movie. So he asks them, why does every movie have to have a sex scene? And they say, because the movie is simulating real life. And in real life, people have sex. And he says, yeah. They also have soup. <laughs> Why doesn't every movie have to have a soup scene? And tastefully done, of course. It's a funny routine. But you walk away asking, yeah, really? Why if there's a sex scene, it'll sell? If there's a soup scene, it's not going to sell. Soup is good food. In other words, what's the difference between soup and sex? We're down to this. <laughs> we don't know the difference between soup and sex. Ask your grandmother, she knows, because she knows soup. 
soup is not intimate. You like soup? You have soup? You don't want? Don't have. Sex used to be intimate, and people go crazy for intimacy. Unfortunately, in the recent, um, in the recent past, sex stopped being intimate. It's become soup. You like it, fine. You don't like it, don't like it. Once a month, good enough. This is really bad. We don't want our sex to become soup. So what is the solution? Make it intimate again. Because it really is. So here's, here's the secret. Some of the secret. Intimacy can happen only in the dark. Sex happens with the lights on. Who introduced sex with the lights on? Pornography. It's hard to take a picture with the lights off. It's pornography. It's about something, not about the person you're with. It's objectifying. It's a performance. You're good at it. You're not good at it. But there's an it in the room when there shouldn't be. A bedroom is a place for him and her. There's no room for an it. So, lights off. No music, no television, no sound, nothing. Not even from the other room. You should be hearing nothing. You should be seeing nothing. And you should be saying nothing. What are you left with? Merely each other. How great is that? May not be very practical, but it's also a great idea to have separate beds. Think about it. People are having sex once a month. What are they doing the rest of the time? Sleep. Sleeping. Right next to each other. How deadening. How awful. Night after night, you're in the same bed and you're not interested. You're tired. Not in the mood. Can that kill a relationship? If you're going to be intimate, shouldn't you at least show a little initiative? <laughs> like, like, get up and go to her bed. Instead of, oh, we're here already anyway, you know. That is so dull. So not romantic. It's terrible. Let me ask you a quick question. In an Orthodox synagogue, men and women sit separately. Why? You're there to pray, not to be distracted. Okay. Why can't you sit with your wife, with your husband, 
Not with other women, not with other men. Just you and your husband. You and your wife. Most people say, because, well, you can be distracted by your wife too. <laughs> if only. <laughs> that would actually be nice. <laughs> but let's say you can be distracted by your wife. So God is saying, no. If you're praying to me, don't be distracted by your wife. Does that sound like God to you? It's the opposite. God is saying, if you're sitting next to your wife, why are you talking to me? It's not nice. How can God be jealous? <laughs> he invented marriage. It was his idea. He even married you off because every marriage is made in heaven. So he decided you should be married to each other, and all of a sudden he's jealous? Hey, hey, talk to me. No. It's the opposite. When a husband and wife are sitting together, how dare you pray to God? Ignore each other? Not good. By extension, you're in the same bed together and you're ignoring each other? Because you want to sleep? Not nice. So do you remember the old television shows? You've seen reruns. <laughs> I Love Lucy, uh, Honeymooners, separate beds. Everybody had separate beds. And when they were going to be intimate, how did you know they were going to be intimate? They turned off the lamp. Dark. This was normal. Not so long ago. We can bring it back. We can make our bedrooms intimate again. Sacred. We can make our relationships intimate. Because that that's what they are by nature. We're just trying to play games. And you can't get away with that. So we really need to be more intimate. Marriages need to be more passionate. Sex needs to be more holy. And then our families are healthier, stronger. Our children feel bonded to their parents because the parents are bonded to each other. And then you can come home to a home which is the next most powerful wor word in the English language. Mine is powerful. Home. Home means where you belong. When you come home, you're home. You've landed. You are where you belong. That's really powerful. And what do you do at home? Well, exactly what you're supposed to do. No doubts. No ifs, no maybes. You're doing what you're supposed to do. And with whom? With the person meant for you. That's heaven. That is heaven. To come home 
and feel stress, to come home and feel uncomfortable, that's hell. That should never happen. So if the bedroom is healthy, if there's intimacy between husband and wife, it becomes a home. And when you come home, at the end of every day, your life begins. It's not over. Walking into your home after a long day of work, you're so comfortable. You're revived, you're energized, you're excited, you're home. There's nothing more powerful than that. When the Israeli soldiers flew into Uganda to save the hostages in Entebbe, they had been held there for a long time. They didn't know what their fate was going to be. The soldiers came in, eliminated the, the terrorists, and then they said something to the hostages that was pure magic. Here are people who didn't know whether they would live or die. Soldiers come and eliminate the threat. What could they say to these hostages that would be meaningful? They said, let's go home. Could they have said anything more powerful than that? If they had said, we came to save you because we love you, it would have been a sad joke. Not love. Home. Let's go home. That is the Kabbalah of intimacy. It's divine. It's magical. It's awesome. Cannot be replaced by love. Love is the spice. When you have a home, when you come home, and you feel you're at home, are you not going to love it? Come on, what's not to love? But home, that's what we need. That's the plan. God created a world to have a home in this, on this planet. He wants somebody, and with somebody, you can have a home. It's really the most sacred thing in life. So, help yourself. It's yours. And tell everybody you know, sex is intimacy. Don't kid yourself. Marriage is permanent. You're bonded like Siamese twins. You cannot imagine being without each other. That's marriage. Our grandparents did it. We can do it too. We can do it better. We can even talk about it. So if you ask your grandmother, what happens in the bedroom? Remember you asked your grandmother? <laughs> you didn't? 
Because you knew more than her. <laughs> okay, so you say it was Tetzachan bedroom, yeah. If you asked your grandmother what happens in the bedroom, your grandmother would probably say, nothing. Right? Nothing. Say, so come on, tell me. Nothing. Such wisdom. Grandma is right again. What happens in a bedroom? No thing. It's just them being together. There are no things in a bedroom. People are not things. Intimacy is not a thing. It's a non-thing. Treat it that way, and you get all the benefits. Because it's real. So we should all have inspired relationships, sacred relationships, really intimate relationships, so that our home feels like a home, and when you walk in after a long day, you're not collapsing and exhausted. You're now finally excited about life. Because your home is life. Make sense? Thank you for listening. And we should all have... We should all have wonderful news. <laughs> Not something you actually share with others, so it's nobody's business. But once a month? It's got to be better than that. We have a Sunday night program for VIPs that you might be interested in. It's informal. It's questions and answers. It's conversation. It's really relaxed. It's really pleasant, enjoyable, informative, and uh, kind of community-like. It's a Sunday night program. There's a um, Wednesday morning program for the VIPs, and there's a Wednesday night program. All of it just conversation, casual, laid back, unscripted. So join us, take a look, click uh, the link below and see which, which of the three suits you best and join us for some enjoyable conversation.